Welcome to the Unrest Podcast. I'm Madeline Green. And I'm Caitlin Stansel. Thanks so much for joining us back here for our real life haunts. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, head over and click and subscribe so you can catch all the latest episodes. By the way, our last episode was the 50th episode we have done. I can't can't believe believe that. that. (laughs) Jinx. You can tell we're best friends. Right? (laughs) It does and doesn't seem like it could be the 50th episode because we have been at it a while, but we've taken breaks. We've had life kind of come into play with babies, with our, our past host, Carter. And so we did take breaks here and there. So it's been like a lengthy amount of time, but it's hard to believe that we've done 50 episodes. And probably if you had asked us back then, if we would have done 50. (laughs) I don't know that we would have said we would have made it this far. I think I would have been like, oh yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you have like a real life. So (laughs) it is a lot sometimes with a job, but this is the fun part of our days when we get to record and catch up. Yes. And actually see each other. I think that's kind of what's so fun about it is we don't see each other until we do this. So it definitely gives us some time to catch up and and talk about one of our favorite topics, spooky things, spooky things. And this week I am very excited because we have our first Bigfoot story for you guys. The first one is anonymous and it's a really neat story and kind of shows a a side of Bigfoot that you might not think would be how he would behave. So take a listen. For several days in the spring of 1973, it had drizzled rain off and on, and at times it was windy with downpours. The river that runs through Crusoe spanned 12 to 15 feet wide and was delightfully deep enough for all of us kids to water tube all the way to Canton. The river mysteriously had not rose very high with all this rain. Earlier in the day, the First Baptist Church had a picnic at Camp Hope, which is up Highway 276, and I attended with my aunt, who was a member. The river runs alongside the highway for many miles. All of us kids had played in the river up until time to leave. Just below Camp Hope was a campground that many of us had spent many summers at. The owners were friends of my aunt, so we stopped to visit. I immediately went down to the river to my favorite spot. The sun was going down and the rain was still a drizzle. It was rather dark in the woods leading to my favorite spot down by the river. I had no fear at this point, but that quickly changed. I smelled a horrible smell and felt I was being watched. Something came up so fast behind me and literally stopped so abruptly that it threw dirt all over me. I turned to see a massive hairy creature towering over me, and I was five foot four inches. It had to be at least eight feet tall. I froze, and in the deepest guttural voice, it said to me, leave. I took off running for my life, hysterically crying my eyes out and screaming. I didn't tell what had happened to my aunt, but I said we needed to go now. She'd never seen me like this before ever, so we said our goodbyes and left immediately. 
I got home and my aunt told my mom what had happened to me. Just as she was telling my hysterical situation, my dad's CB ham radio announced a 1033, which stands for emergency over the air. It was calling for Riverwatch to meet at a nearby fire station. Apparently, earlier in the week, a tornado had dropped trees at the top of the mountain, and they formed a dam on the river that wasn't accessible or could be viewed by the highway in the higher elevations. A cloudburst occurred that afternoon and the dam broke, sending a 30-foot-plus wall of water down the mountain. The campground where I had been was almost completely washed away, killing a nine-year-old little girl. During those days, we never spoke of Bigfoot, and for many years I was puzzled about what had saved my life that day. Then one day I watched a video of where a man had developed a verbal exchange with Bigfoot. It was an actual recording, and I instantly got the confirmation to my suspicions. It was the same guttural voice that I had heard. I am a wild animal rescuer, and I have had amazing success with wild animals as they know that I'm going to help them. I once had to bury a baby raccoon that I had fallen in love with. I was deep in the woods, burying him, crying almost like a whale. Rocks kept being thrown from deep in the woods. I spoke to it, and again, I had another experience, hearing it walking through the woods. It just knew I was okay and one of the good humans. It's not far from where I live now, and I know it watches me from time to time, but I'm not afraid now. I love that he is a creature intent on doing good. What I liked most about the story was the fact that when we think of Bigfoot, we think of like this animal type person. And here he is showing or warning this poor young girl, like you need to get out of here. Like something bad's about to happen. It's definitely a new way to kind of look at this mysterious creature. We love Bigfoot. (laughs) I feel like he's like sort of endearing also. A lot of people that are in the Bigfoot community. You know what I mean? You know, I don't think there are as many people that are like scared of Bigfoot as they may be of other entities out there. Our next story is from Tim, and he's actually from not too far from where I live. And he kind of shares with us his first experiences with Bigfoot and has turned into almost some sort of hobby where he now researches them. He's a big hunter, and that's kind of how it all first started out. So take a listen. My buddy, he moved up from Florida. His wife's family had owned this property. There's 86 acres, and they'd owned it, but they'd only come up maybe once or twice a year. Him and his wife and family moved in up above me, and they would go stay at the cabin, you know, just get away from everything else and we started putting in deer feeders and deer stands and all of that stuff and started being on the property a lot more and um, up until then they didn't have no idea what was up there and it wasn't until we started being on the property you know we'd shoot skeets and deer hunt and squirrel hunt and all of that kind of stuff and uh, that's when they started letting us know that they was there. It started with me and a buddy of mine playing a joke on his boys. They had been messing with his trail cam, sticking some deer horns in front of it, making him think there's some big deer and all of that stuff. 
he told me, he said, we've got to get even with them. And I told him, I said, well, back in the 70s, my dad and his buddy on a place close to where he lives had found some tracks in the snow, and they was huge barefooted tracks. And uh, I told him, I said, I'll get me some boards and I'll cut us out some big feet, and we'll just put some tracks out and have some fun with the boys. And he, he thought that would be funny, so we did, and and it went over big time, and everybody got a big kick out of it. But then we was up in his cabin loft trying to kill a wild hog that was coming in and rooting his yard up. We were sitting up there one night and with all the lights off in the in his little cabin and everything, and three raccoons come out in the yard. And they come out with just milling around, feeding and that stuff. And my buddy, his land had a, a creek that come in and split right at his yard and went up both sides of his property. So there's a lot of coons and that kind of stuff. But they come in out in his yard of feeding around and stuff. And I'd say probably about 10 minutes after they come out, they run back into the bushes, into the laurel thicket. And all of a sudden we heard something grab one of them and it started fighting the coon did. It was, I don't know if anybody knows what it sounds like when they fight a dog or whatever, but I mean, they make a terrible racket. And all of a sudden we just heard a great big, like that and everything went dead quiet. I mean, they wasn't nothing making a, a sound. And then whatever it was started whistling. And I told my buddy, I said, now there's nothing that I know of it's not a dog because it didn't bark at the coon and dogs can't whistle. I said, it didn't make the noise of a bear and bears can't whistle. I said, whatever this is, I, I have no idea. And that sort of started it. And from then it was just um, limbs getting put in their trails going up to our tree stands. Actually, I have found five different family groups of them here in the county that I live in. And that's just pure luck. Once I started learning what to look for, then I, when I would be hunting, I'd know to sit still and be quiet and all that stuff. And I'd have them come in and throw rocks at me and they'd throw sticks and I, you name it. And I've had it happen to me. I've been, uh, well, not just me, but me and some of my research buddies, we've been bluff charged. And I mean, it's... We've had a lot of encounters. Um, I've actually heard them talk on three different occasions. They do have a language, and I don't understand what it is. It sounds a lot like a mix between Native American with monkey mixed in with it. It's about the best way I could describe it. And um, But it's not just on that property. And the reason I know that there's five different, uh, at least five different, family groups of them because in the county when I hunt in one place one day and have an encounter there and then I go clean across the county to another spot and then have get yelled at or, or something thrown at me there you know it, you sort of put two and two together that they don't know where I'm going from day to day so there has to be more than than just the ones on his property. Some of my brothers don't even believe me but that's okay I mean it's it's one of them things at, at first, I didn't. I was just taking pictures of what they was doing to our trails and all that stuff, and never got really into the research part of it. Actually, documenting the stuff that we find 
until I got with some other guys from here in North Carolina, and they sort of got me on the track of uh, helping me build audio recorders. We have audio recorders that record 24 hours a day for two weeks, and then we have to go in and change them out and just that kind of stuff. But, yeah, there's people, some people will accept it and some won't, but I, I tell them I don't want to be a jerk and I'm not trying to be smart at it, but I'm not a believer. I'm a knower, and I've actually seen two of them, and there's, there's no doubt in my mind, you know, that they're here. It's not going to change nothing whether they believe or they don't believe. They're still going to be here whether... I'm the only one that believes it or, you know, if everybody believes it. I mean, I never even thought they was real until in 2008 when I had my first encounter and I'm I'm 55 years old, never even had any idea that they was around. And the crazy thing is a lot of the places that I've had encounters, I've hunted there all my life. But I sort of, once we had the encounters, I've sort of known what to look for and a lot of people do different things when I just sit down and be quiet and let them come in around me and I know what kind of sign to look for um, you know with the tree breaks and that kind of stuff and sort of know in areas if I see any of that stuff that there's a possibility there may be one there and I think one reason that I'm having a little bit of success is that we're both doing the same thing. I'm hunting deer and hogs and that kind of stuff, and they're doing the same thing. So if it's a good place for me to hunt, it would be a good place for them to hunt. One thing I think, and I have no way of proving it one way or the other, but if you go back and do some history, um, when we come to the United States, we was shooting everything, killing everything. And there's actually reports of people killing them, you know, back in the 1800s. And there's no telling how many of them got killed, people thinking it was wild people or whatever you want to call it. A lot of it could have been the Bigfoots. And now that we're not so trigger happy on everything that moves, their numbers are starting to generate more. And North Carolina is, to me, one of those places where it's not extremely hot in the summer and it's not extremely cold in the winter, at least up here where I live. I live in in the Great Smokies, not far from the Tennessee line. And I, I hear of people saying that they traveled. We have encounters all year round, so it, and it might just be I'm in a good spot, I don't know, but I think the the main reason that North Carolina and other places on the East Coast is that their numbers are starting to, to grow, and I wouldn't be surprised if it don't start, you know, just happening in other states as well. Um, me and my daddy and my brother, on one occasion, and me and my buddy that I started finding the Bigfoot with, we have seen lights moving through the woods and I don't, I ain't going to say that it was one connected to the other because I have no way of proving it. And I'm one of them. If I don't know, or I've not experienced it, I'm not going to say nothing because I have no right to, because I don't know nothing about it. Um, but 
I have seen lights on three different occasions just be out in the woods and lights be moving through and you turn your flashlight on and walk towards you because you think it's one of your buddies or something like that and then the light goes up and then you don't never see nothing. The one thing that I don't know yet is a lot of people talk about them being telepathic and cloaking and all that stuff but from what I've seen I've not had none of that happen yet so I ain't going to say nothing on that but we did find on some of the hair samples that we've found and had tested um, that come back matching all the criteria, they ain't going to say that you've got Bigfoot hair. They will say that it matched all the criteria if they was. Something about the color of it not being solid throughout the hair like a human's hair is. And uh, the ones that we got reports back, we got reports of uh, there being two different individuals with the hairs that we sent. And their hair, it will have a color in it. It may be start out as a gray or a black, and then it'll go a little ways, and then it'll be translucent. And then it'll go have maybe red in it for a little ways, and then it'll be translucent again, then go to maybe a, a different color. And I think that's one reason that people think that they're cloaking. I think their hair is a lot like fishing line. When you, when you got fishing line out of the water, you can see it. But when you put it in there and it absorbs what's around it, you don't see it. And I think that may be some of the stuff that's going on, you know, that people ain't thinking of is that they're not actually cloaking, but that their surroundings, they just blend in with them so good. Matter of fact, the first one that I ever saw, I just happened to see just a little flitter of movement and my buddy was lucky enough to zoom in with his camera and get a picture. And um, that one followed this a mile and a half into one of our research areas and back out. The The main group that I'm with is a group called Dirty South Squatching. And um, we're actually getting ready to uh, start working on a movie, uh, putting it together of all our research and stuff like that that we've done. Um, I was actually talking to one of my buddies last night about it. We're going to try to get that started. And it's just going to be one of those, this is what we found, all the evidence that we found. And um, But we do put it out on, I have a, a TikTok channel that I put a lot of my videos and stuff on. It is Tim Deals 13. I think it's really interesting the way that he looks at Bigfoot. I don't know if I recorded this, but he kind of believes that Bigfoot is maybe this different breed of monkey. He talked about there being evidence of monkeys kind of having their own language. And he feels like that these Bigfoots do have their own language. And what's crazy is how this story really coincides with her story. They don't know each other and and they're not even from the same place. But, you know, she talked about Bigfoot speaking to her. She talked about them throwing rocks at her and he talks about the exact same thing. So it's pretty interesting to think that Bigfoot could possibly not be this man type beast, but actually be an animal that we just, you know, haven't narrowed down to what exactly it is. 
Definitely. And I just feel like what else sort of convinces me that, you know, we should have an open mind about Bigfoot being real is that there have just been so many sightings, not just in the United States, but across the world, you know, of variations of what we hear Bigfoot look like. You know, there's the Yeti, um, whatever the other ones are called. But you know what I mean? I mean, I, I feel like that is a really convincing point to it is that there have been so many sightings and sort of like our ocean, there's just so much of our world that is undiscovered. So I I like to think that, you know, it's very possible that Bigfoot is real. Yeah, I agree. I shared a map. I guess a few weeks ago of um, the United States and it showed, you know, all the sightings of Bigfoot and where the most sightings are. And it really is up and down kind of the East coast and West coast. You can see that picture on our Facebook page, but it's really interesting. And like you said, the ocean, I mean, think about just all the different animals that they're like, Oh gosh, like we didn't know that this animal existed or even today. (laughs) Yeah. Even today. And you know, even thinking about things like the Loch Ness Monster or something like that, it just, it doesn't seem as far-fetched to me. Something could be there that you can't explain. And just because you don't have hardcore evidence doesn't mean that it's not there. When I feel like that's sort of like the magic of the world we live in too, is that we don't know everything, that there's still so much possibility out there for you know, Bigfoot to be real, the Loch Ness Monster to be real. I kind of like that we don't have all the answers because what would be the point of (laughs) all of this, you know, if we knew everything about life? (laughs) Yeah. And especially living in a world where we know that there were dinosaurs at one time, they're not here now per se, but like to think that, okay, they were here at one time. So is it really that far-fetched that there's an ape-like man- running the woods. I don't think it is, (laughs) but that's just my personal opinion because I love Bigfoot. (laughs) And there you have it. That is Madeline's argument for the existence of Bigfoot. (laughs) So if you have a Bigfoot story or if you have any story that you feel like we need to hear, we would love to hear it from you. Um, You can email us at the unrest podcast at gmail.com. Or follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page and also a Facebook group you can join for unique extra content. Hopefully soon me and Caitlin will be in the same city and we're trying to plan some kind of live something. (laughs) (laughs) Some sort of live recording. We might just end up being in the middle of a cemetery or something, but it'll be a surprise for all of us (laughs) when it happens. And until then... Unrest Unrest in in peace. peace.